Well, good morning, Valley Bible Church. It is such a pleasure to be with you this morning. I've loved getting to enjoy the worship that we get to experience each and every single Sunday. Uh, I love this worship team. They've been leading us in song and, and in prayer and in praise to King Jesus. But I just want to have a confession right now. I wish I could reach through this camera right now and give you all a hug. I miss seeing each and every single one of you each and every single Sunday, shaking your hands, praying with you, weeping with you, laughing with you. And I am just so excited that, Lord willing, sometime soon we can be together again. And so I, I just want to say that right now you're in a living room. If you're sitting next to somebody, give them a hug on my behalf right now, all right? Uh, but I am, I'm so blessed to share God's Word uh, with you today. And uh, it, it's, it's, it's a joy and a privilege to, to look at God's Word together. And we're going to look at that in just a moment. But before we do, I'd like to pray and ask for God's blessing and for Him to turn on the light switch of our hearts and minds as we look at the Scriptures together today. So let's open with a word of prayer. Our Father in heaven, we've sung praises to King Jesus. We've worshipped His name We've called out to Him in prayer. And now, Father, we, we want to hear Your voice. And we don't have to go outside to listen for it. We can open up the Scriptures and say, Thus says the Lord. But Father, our ears are often hard to hear and our eyes are often blind to see and certainly our hearts are hard to receive. So we're asking right now, as we look at the Scriptures together, would You turn on the light switch of our hearts, so that we could see Jesus clearly and believe in Him and become more like Him. So we trust that you're going to meet with us now through the power of the Holy Spirit. We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, over the last couple of weeks, Pastor Paul Crandall has been doing such an outstanding job uh, opening up for us a new series in the book of John. The Gospel of John. So if you've got your New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and the series that we've started out with is called The Sent Ones. And we've seen from John chapter 1 that Jesus is the one who was sent to us by the Father. And we saw that Jesus first, that the darkness hides, but Jesus revives. Last week we saw that belief is born, but this morning we're going to see a little bit of a transition the writer is going to transition from focusing on Jesus, and, and now he's going to help us understand somebody who played an important role in the life and ministry of Jesus, and that is John the Baptist. And so you may be confused here a little bit. Wait a minute. This book is called John, but now we're talking about a John. Is this the same guy? And I want you to understand that there are two Johns here. We want to distinguish between the two. The first is John the Gospel writer, or John the Evangelist, or we'll call him John the author of this book. And the other John that we're going to look at this morning that John the author was writing about, his name is John the Baptist. Now, some of you may be familiar with some of the church denominations saying, I go to First Baptist Church of Hercules or I'm part of the Southern Baptist denomination. That's not what we're talking about here. See, John the Baptist is actually John the Baptizer. He's, he's the older cousin of Jesus who was a forerunner or somebody who went ahead uh, in the life and ministry of Jesus. So what's significant about this John the Baptizer? Well, he wasn't wealthy. He didn't come from a, a family who was, uh, came from a lot of power or influence. No, if you saw this guy, you'd see that he was somebody that was out in the wilderness 
And, and this guy looked weird. He may have smelled weird. He was covered in animal skins. And, and we know that he would eat locusts out in the Judean wilderness, which is much like a desert, uh, very unpopulated. He was kind of a wild prophet. So if you looked at this guy and you saw this John the baptizer, you'd probably actually be kind of happy to practice social distancing with this guy because he was kind of a weird figure. Well, he started to gain a large following. A lot of people started to come around him because he was preaching uh, this message that said, repent, turn from your sins because the king is going to come. God is going to do a great work and you need to be ready for that. And as people responded to this message, the way they would respond is that they'd get dunked under the water and be baptized. Now, why did they do that? We're going to look at that in just a few minutes. But this was John's ministry. And as he was doing this, he was gaining a large, large following. And as we get to our text this morning, we're going to see right at the moment where his fame seems to be coming to a pinnacle, to a climax. What does he do? Does he receive all the attention? No, this is what he does. He diverts the the attention away from himself. This John the baptizer, he had no lofty status and he had no wealth and he didn't look like a great, great character, but, but yet he came in a ministry that diverted attention away from himself. So why would John, the author of this book, include this guy? What's so important about his ministry? You know, in fact, as we look at this text together and we read John's writings about John the baptizer, I think we could find some comparisons. You see, as followers of Jesus, oftentimes uh, we, we may even look a little bit weird. Not many of us come from uh, wealthy backgrounds. Not many of us carry a lot of influence or power, and yet we're called to be sent ones just like John the baptizer. There's not really all that much attractive about us, and just when we get attention put on ourselves, what are we supposed to do? We're to divert that attention away from ourselves. That's Christian virtue. That's humility. And so when we look at John the baptizer, I think that we could see some similarities in us who are sent ones just like John the baptizer, followers of Jesus Christ. Well, here's the big idea that I I want you to write down today. And and I know Pastor Paul's been asking you, maybe you put it down in your phone or you want to write it on a piece of paper. Here's the big idea of, of learning about this story about John the baptizer, and it's this. The greatest thing about us is not us. The greatest thing about us is not us. And before I go any further, it's time for us to take a look at the scripture passage that we're going to look at this morning. And it's in John, the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verses 19 through 28. So I invite you to follow along as I read this aloud. It says this, and this is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? He confessed And did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, what then? Are are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, no. So they said to him, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees. They asked him, then why are you baptizing if you are neither the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? 
John answered them, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know. Even who, he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany, across the Jordan, where John was baptizing. Now, we're going to uh, take a look at this passage here, and Pastor Paul loves to unpack everything that we see in the Scripture, so I'll leave the unpacking to him, but what I hope to do is hopefully unwrap the big idea today from this story. Again, the big idea is that uh, we are not the greatest. The greatest thing about us is not us. And so John is asked two questions. The first question is this, who are you? And the second question is, why are you baptizing? So we're going to focus in and unwrap a little bit these questions. And so the first question is this, who are you? Who are you? And, and John definitively comes out and he says, I am not several people. First of all, he says, I am not the Christ. I am not the Christ. Now, where in the world did he pull that from? Well, see, we've got our word Christ in the New Testament, and in the Old Testament, that word was Messiah. And here's what it meant. The Messiah was the Lord's anointed. The Lord's anointed. And when we talk about anointed, what we mean is a special oil, a ceremony that would take place to show that somebody was devoted for a special purpose. And so a prophet or somebody would take that oil and pour it on the anointed one's head. And that person was set apart. So we see that, that the priests, the priest at the tabernacle, when, when God was setting up his, his uh, ritual system so that people could approach God, he said, I'm going to give you priests. And the way you know that they're set apart as special is that they're going to be my anointed ones. I'm going to cover their heads with oil so that you know who these priests are set apart specially for me. We also see those anointed ones included kings, the ones who would rule over the people. And, and as a prophet was setting aside a king, he would anoint them with oil. And that king, we see it with Saul. We see it with David. We see it with Solomon. They are God's anointed ones as kings. But we also see that prophets at times were also anointed. But, but throughout the Old Testament, we see a promise that just like these priests are God's anointed ones, just as we see that kings are God's anointed ones, just as we see that prophets are God's anointed ones, there's coming someone, one person who is going to be what we would call the king par excellence in the French, or it's the one who, compared to all the others, stands above the rest. You see, there's going to come the Lord's anointed, and he's going to be the king above all kings. He's going to be the priest that lasts forever and truly brings people close to God. And there's going to come one who's a prophet and does just, who doesn't just speak on God's behalf, but actually reveals God to humanity. This one is the Lord's anointed, this Messiah this Christ, and the Jewish people, they were anticipating this Messiah to come. And there were all kinds of little Christs around saying, I'm the one, I'm here, I'm it. And then we'd see after a while, they'd just fall away. And certainly they weren't this special one, this Messiah par excellence, who was above all the rest, who would be the true king and true priest and true prophet that the people of Israel and this entire world so desperately needed. 
And so as John is ministering and, and he's preaching this good news of the kingdom that people need to turn from sin and, and be saved and be baptized, they begin to wonder, is this the Christ? Could this be the one that we're anticipating? And John unequivocally says, it is not me. It's not me. Well, then they ask him, are you Elijah? Now, if you don't know who Elijah is, he's one of the greatest prophets in all the Old Testament scriptures. Elijah did amazing things, spoke on behalf of God. In fact, he's, he's part of one of the greatest stories we see in all the Bible, where Elijah is there and, and he's going to make a sacrifice, and there's a bunch of prophets who are worshiping the false god Baal, and uh, they have a little bit of a competition there. And, and the, the competition is whose, whose sacrifice is going to be consumed by false fire. And the prophets of Baal, they they beg and plead their God and nothing happens. And Elijah shows up and says, God, let this sacrifice be consumed. And it happens in a moment. This Elijah was a great spokesman, a great representative, a great mouthpiece for God during a troubling time in the history of Israel. What's even more special about this man is that we, we don't know that he ever actually dies. We, we see in the Old Testament that, that God actually just kind of swept him away in a chariot of fire. And what we believe is took him right directly to heaven. And so there were rumors that were floating around. Maybe Elijah never really died. And there were these anticipations in the time of John the baptizer and, John, and, and of Jesus that maybe this Elijah is going to come back in the end times. And he's going to be the one who's going to come in and speak truth so that all the world will be changed. But John the Baptist says, I'm not that Elijah. Now later Jesus says, there, John actually is a type of Elijah. You see in Malachi chapter 3 and in Malachi chapter 4, God promises, I'm going to send someone in the spirit of Elijah. And when he speaks, he's going to help turn the hearts of fathers to their children and help whole families be transformed so that they look to the one true God. And Jesus says, John, if you will receive it, John is even like this Elijah who is to come. So John here, when he denies that he's Elijah, in some ways he's even denying uh, the, the person that he probably actually is. But then they go on and ask him, John, are you the prophet? Not just a prophet, are you the prophet? What does that mean? Well, going back to the Old Testament, there, was, there were many prophets, but there was no prophet like Moses. Moses was absolutely the greatest prophet in the entire Old Testament. You see, he represented God to the people in a way unlike any other prophet did. You see, he saw God and he would come out and speak the words of God to the people Israel. And all throughout Israel's history, even to this day, they look back, many of them, and say Moses is the greatest prophet that we've ever had. But Moses said something in Deuteronomy chapter 18. As he's getting ready to go off the scene, he says this, you should expect a prophet who's going to come and do things that you've never seen before. He's going to be even greater prophet than me. He's going to be that prophet par excellence, that one that is above all the others. And so this group comes to John and says, are you the Messiah? No. Are you Elijah? No. Are you the prophet? No. What does John say? He says this in verse 23 of our passage in John 1. He said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, make straight the way 
of the Lord. John says, I'm not the one you're looking for. I'm just the voice that's announcing his arrival. This, This statement that John the baptizer makes actually comes from the book of Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah. In Isaiah chapter 40, we see that in the midst of that book, God is telling his people, Israel, you've turned from me. You're going to be judged because of your sin, because of your rebellion, because you bow down to idols who can't talk, who can't speak, who can't listen, and can't do anything for you. And because you've turned your back on me, I'm going to judge you for that. But in the midst of all of the language of judgment, through the prophet Isaiah, God gives the people hope. He says, I'm going to send one who's going to be a voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Get ready. I'm bringing good news to you. The king is coming. The Lord is going to save. What good news it must have been for the people of Israel to to hear that. We feel like we're in a wilderness. We feel like we're in a desert. We need some good news. And in that promise of Isaiah 40, get ready when you feel like you're in a wilderness. I'm going to send my man who's going to be the voice to prepare the way for the Lord to do his work. That's how John identifies himself. He says, the greatest thing about me is not me. I'm just the voice preparing for the one who is to come. So that answers the question of these these guys. They ask John the baptizer, who are you? I'm not the Christ. I'm not Elijah. I'm not the prophet. I'm the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Let's look at their second question. They say, well, then why are you baptizing? Why are you baptizing? And John has a very simple answer. He says, I baptize with water. What he's saying is this, is that all I'm doing is something that's external, something that will uh, allow a person to be cleansed of the outer defilements of living in a sinful world and, and maybe even the defilements of some of the sins that they've personally committed. You see, baptism was a popular practice at that time to show one's turning from sin and being washed of their defilement and a commitment and a devotion to the Lord. You couldn't enter into the Lord's presence, uh, into the temple to make a sacrifice unless you first washed yourself. But John is way out in the wilderness. John the baptizer, he's way out there and he's saying, I am calling you to repent and look to God and turn from your wicked ways And as a symbol of your commitment to the Lord and washing yourself of all your sinful behaviors, I'm calling you to get baptized. It was a a person showing that they were set apart in devotion to God. So here's John, a voice calling out in the wilderness, telling people, I'm making a way for the Lord. He's coming. Get yourselves ready. Turn from your sin and be baptized. Really, he's saying, wake up. The king is coming soon. Now, he's saying my baptism is is merely just external. But he goes on to say this. He goes on to say this. John answered, verse 26, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know. Isn't that amazing? He's standing here among your midst, but you have not recognized him yet. Verse 27 says, even he who comes after me the strap of whose sandal I'm not worthy to untie. 
I'm not even worthy of being put in the same category of the one who's coming after me. I simply baptize with water. And we're going to see it next week when Pastor Paul uh, shares the next section of this, of this passage for us. But John is actually saying this one who's coming, he's going to baptize with the Holy Spirit. And some of the other gospels say with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Not just with water, with fire. Now, that doesn't mean literally we step into the fire, we would burn ourselves up, but this image of fire is a, is a burning, purifying, refining holiness. You see, what John the baptizer was doing, he was just dunking people under the water to get rid of their external filth. But what this one who was to come, this one who's coming after him, he could do so much more than just wash you on the outside This one actually could come and do a work to bring a heart to purity and transformation all the way to the deepest parts of their soul. So John the baptizer is saying, yeah, it's nice that I'm baptizing with water, but don't be mistaken. I'm not Messiah. I'm not Elijah. I'm not the prophet. And all I'm doing is baptizing with water, but there's someone who's coming after me. And what he's going to do cannot be compared to the small little things that I do. You, you think what I do is good? John the baptizer is saying, you ain't seen nothing yet. I'm not even worthy to untie his sandal. What, I, what John is saying, I, I want you to know that, that what I do here, I, I don't even deserve to get credit for lacing up his sneakers. He, his work is so beyond mine. He deserves all the credit. He deserves all the praise. This reminds me of a series I've been watching lately. Uh, I've been, I, I love Michael Jordan. I grew up in the 80s and 90s, and the basketball star Michael Jordan to me was just the greatest thing I've ever seen in an athlete. And I've been watching this series that's uh, been on recently called uh, The Last Dance, And in episode five, it's amazing because it it talks about Jordan being a part of this dream team, the 1992 Olympic basketball men's team. And for the first time ever, they allowed the the professionals to be a part of of this event and a part of this tournament. And so the league brought together the greatest players on the planet, guys like Magic Johnson and Larry Bird and Carl Malone and Charles Barkley and John Stockton, so many other great, great basketball players. And of course, Michael Jordan was a part of that team. And I I love in episode five because they talked about how they were practicing against each other. And it was kind of back and forth. And one squad was kind of beating the other. But Michael Jordan had finally said, okay, I've had enough. And he just takes over the entire scrimmage. And he is shooting the lights out. And he is showing everybody on the floor, you think you're great. I just want everybody to know who the best on this court is. I am the best player that is, is on this court here today. And I love the testimonies of those players because they say, we, 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 we figured it out. We finally realized uh, this guy is head and shoulders above all of us. We're not even worthy to tie his sneakers. And in a much more profound way, John is saying, I know who this one is that's coming. He's not been revealed yet, but I know when he comes, he is going to do works that are so higher, so much greater, so much mightier than what I could ever do. I'm not even worthy to tie his sneakers. Don't give me any credit. His work is so much higher than mine. 
So when we take John the baptizer's responses together, when we, when we see the answers to his questions, uh, we see that he was not in ministry for his own fortune, for his own fame, for his own accolades, for people to have the attention on himself. No, he recognized his place in the story. He knew his job. He knew his position. He knew his role in this game. He was around for this purpose, to prepare the way for Messiah and to prepare people's hearts to receive him. You see, John the baptizer believed this. He believed this from the bottom of his heart, that the greatest thing about John was not John. It was the one who was coming after him. Now, as we look at John the baptizer's ministry, we we have to ask ourselves, is this the kind of life that he was destined to live. I mean, in, in some ways, uh, we may actually think to ourselves, he's kind of like a kind of like a step stool up for Jesus to get up so that he could get all the fame and he could get all the attention. And he's kind of like a doormat, right? Is, is John really to be seen as a doormat? Someone that Jesus just kind of stepped on on the way to his own glory? Is that really what, this, what being a sent one means? Is that you just kind of have to lay down and let Jesus walk all over you? I mean, John is saying the greatest thing about me is not me. It's the one who is to come. How should we evaluate that kind of life? Well, I think if we're going to evaluate anything, we should go to Jesus himself. How does Jesus evaluate John's ministry and John's life and John the baptizer's message? Over in Matthew chapter 11, verses 2 through 11, we we get to see a little bit toward the end of John's life. Now, if you don't know John the baptizer's life, we know that he reaches a pinnacle right before Jesus comes on the scene. And then after that, he diminishes. And eventually, because he's preaching out against the unrighteousness of the rulers of Israel, he gets put in prison. And eventually, he gets beheaded. What an end. What an end. And right before that happens, as John's in prison, John the baptizer sends some of his friends to go ask Jesus. And he says, I just want to make sure that I was doing the right thing. And this is what it says in Matthew chapter 11, verses 2 through 11. Now when John, being John the Baptist, heard in prison about the deeds of Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And Jesus answered them, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. As they went away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John, being John the Baptist. What did you go out in the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. What an amazing statement by Jesus. Uh, According to Jesus, John the baptizer has lived the greatest life than anyone other than Jesus has ever lived. 
This life of saying, the greatest thing about me is not me. It's the one who's coming after me. Jesus identifies and evaluates as the greatest life that could ever be lived. And John the baptizer lived that life. He didn't have all the fame. He didn't have all the fortune. In fact, he looked like a really weird guy, somebody who seemed like the most unlikely to be sent and to live a great life. But after the fact, after it was all said and done, Jesus said, no, he lived the greatest life that anyone has ever lived because he believed this. The greatest thing about John is not John. It's the one who comes after him. Now, how can this be? How can it be that the greatest life ever lived ends in a beheading? How can it be that the greatest life ever lived is is one that is pointing to somebody else? Where is the joy in that? Where's the pleasure in that? Where's the comfort in that even? I don't know about you, but if I'm going to be a sent one, do do I really want to go and and say I'm going to be beheaded like John? That could be the case. But what we see is that the greatest thing about John was not John and and those who are followers of Jesus, those who are the sent ones, we, we would have to say the greatest thing about us is not us. We can't bring ourselves our greatest joy. We can't be our own messiahs. We can't be a messiah for anybody else either. We must say that the greatest thing about us is not us. But John's life, it pointed beyond his own. It it pointed to someone else. It pointed to the greatest experience and the greatest joy that he could ever have, even in the midst of a beheading. And we see John's eagerness in our text. We see it. He's eager. He's quick to say in that moment, I'm not the Christ. I'm not the prophet. I'm just a voice in the wilderness. And I want you to know that I take joy and I'm living a great life knowing that I'm not even worthy to untie the sandals of this one who's coming after me. How would we explain such eagerness? How would we explain such joy in a life that's lived like this? As I was considering this, what, what does that compare to in, in our world, in our day and age? Let me read a letter that I found in the Kansas City Star. It's a newspaper. This is a story I came across uh, recently that I, I thought just so beautifully speaks to this message that the greatest thing about us is not us, but it speaks to it on a very human level. Uh, this is about a, a baseball player. Uh, he was drafted by the Kansas City Royals in 2018, and, and he received a great signing bonus. It was like four million dollars or something like that and and he was celebrating christmas and out of gratitude to his parents he he wrote them a letter and i want to read that letter to you and you could find all this and there's a video of the the parents unwrapping the letter again his name is brady singer you could search him royals pitcher parents christmas gift something like that you can google that and check it out it's a beautiful story but this is the letter that he reads to his mom and dad as a christmas present he says dear mom and dad I just want to say thank you for everything you've done to help me reach my dreams. From Woodley Field to Kauffman Stadium, there's absolutely no way I could have done all this by myself. Both of you constantly took off of work and spent every dime you made just to put a smile on my face. 
My smile and appreciation for both of you has never stopped and it never will. I will always remember traveling around Florida for baseball, trying to cheaply eat and save money, but I never could because you both always wanted me to have the best stuff to help me pursue my dreams. The money you spent on me uh, on traveling and gear, hotel, food, and all those Gatorades I drank is much more than I could ever give you. But there is something I want to give to you. I'm paying off the loan from the bank. Also, I paid off all your debt as well. Now, instead of trying to save money every weekend to replace the savings account you drained on traveling to see me play baseball, you could spend it on yourselves. Because you deserve the very best, I want you both to know how much I appreciate you and how none of this would be possible without you. Your giving hearts helped me to shape my tiny dream into a reality. I love you both more than you can ever imagine and will never forget what you both have done. Now let's go celebrate. Merry Christmas. Love always, Brady. I I love this letter because what it shows, I think, is really on an earthly level what it is to be, to say, the greatest thing about me is not me. You see, as, if you were to watch this video, you'd see that these parents are, are crying tears of joy as they read this letter. And it's not so much because their debts are paid off and all that, but because they got to see their son live his dream. As they're reading this letter, I'm sure they're rehearsing all of the practices, all of the trips, all of the money spent on the gear, everything that it took to see this boy make it to the top. For those of you who are parents, uh, I'm a parent I don't know about you, but there's no greater joy in all the world than to see the ones we love, even our children, succeed. I I don't need to be the one that has a spotlight. If I could see my sons or my daughter get up there and and knock it out of the park or or maybe make that great film or, or have that great debate or dance that great recital or whatever it could be to see them achieve. Because we love them, that brings us deep, deep, satisfying joy. If you're a parent or a grandparent or someone you've loved, you've helped them achieve something, I think you could agree to say the greatest thing right now isn't me. It's not about me. It's about the one I love. And I think that's what John the Baptist is feeling in this moment. He's saying the greatest thing about me is not me. It's the one I love. It's the one that I've come to prepare the way for so that all could see. And Jesus would say, this is a great life lived. And I think if John were here on this stage, he would say, it is the thing that gave me more joy than anything in this world. That's what it means to be a sent one. It means to say that the greatest thing about us is not us. It's the one we proclaim. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. Friend, if you've never experienced the joy of knowing Jesus, you can know him today. You can experience his love, his peace, his hope, his grace, his righteousness, his justice. And I think you could join the rest of us who are followers of Jesus to say, the greatest thing about us, it's not us. It's Jesus, and he fills our hearts with joy. Well, how are we supposed to live this kind of life? I mean, that's, that's great in theory, but what does that really look like for me today? What does it look like to live the life that, 
looks beyond yourself and experiences true and lasting joy that says, the greatest thing about me is not me. Well, I think to understand John the baptizer's life in context, we have to go back and ask, what was John the gospel writer uh, thinking when he included this? What was his purpose? And so I'd like for us to take a look at what the overarching purpose for, for the entire gospel of John is. And, and I'm going to go to John chapter 20, verses 30 to 31. John 20, 30 to 31. Now at the end of the story, at the end of this book, here's how John the Gospel writer summarizes all of these events and all these people involved in Jesus' life. And this is what it says. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. John, the author's purpose in writing this book was to show how all the people, places, events, and words of Jesus' life all converged together to say one message. Jesus is the Messiah and he gives life. So when we consider John the baptizer's life, we have to consider that John lived to be one of those signs that pointed to Jesus. And his life said, the greatest thing about me is not me. It's this Messiah. And you can have life in his name. Well, friends, we're sent one. You are a sent one. If you are a follower of Jesus, today he's saying to you, you can be one of my sent ones. You can experience that joy and that greatness that Jesus promised and that Jesus evaluated over John's life if you would just live the kind of life that says, the greatest thing about me is not me. John, the author, says all these things are signs. Signs. What, what do we know about signs? Signs don't point to themselves. They point to something or someone else. And so we're called to be signs that point to Jesus too. Now, imagine with me just a moment, and I think it's probably pretty easy to do because we're approaching election season. You know those signs that you see out on people's lawns or that you see posted around town, especially during election time, and they're promoting somebody or, or some cause or some proposition Now imagine you're a sign just like that. What would your sign say? Now, we we saw today uh, from this text of Scripture that the greatest thing about us is not us. So what would your sign say? What would your sign say about Jesus specifically? And here's the challenge. I, I want you to understand that if the greatest thing about us is not us, and we're called to be signs that point to Jesus, just like John the baptizer is, what is one thing? Now, you may be able to think of many more, but what is just one thing that you know and have experienced and love about Jesus that you could share with someone else? Maybe you could say it this way as, hey, the, you know what? The greatest thing about me is not me. It's Jesus, and here's why. Let me give you an example. As I was walking and praying this morning, I was thinking about this. What would I share with someone if they were to ask me right now, what's the greatest thing about your life? I'd say, well, it's not about me. It's about Jesus. And here's what I would say. Jesus has loved me in, in spite of all of my faults. Jesus has loved me even at my worst. 
There's no one else that has seen the darkness of my heart, that knows all of my wicked behaviors, that knows all my sinful thoughts, all my sinful attitudes, and yet has loved me through it all. I don't even have, uh, my mom doesn't even love me that much, and she loves me to death. But this, this Savior has loved me at my worst. And he loves you at your worst too today, friend. You see, the greatest thing about Matthew Nicosia is not Matthew Nicosia. It's Jesus. And what I've experienced is that he has loved me at my worst. So I want to challenge you, friend. If you're a follower of Jesus, one who is following him, and just like John the baptizer, is being sent out to go tell people and as a sign, point others to the greatness of Jesus, I'd like for you to think of one thing about Jesus. And then I want you to share that. So as you turn off this video here in just a few minutes, I'm sure you're going to go out and have lunch or maybe you're watching it later in the day and you're going to go do something else. But I want to invite you, share that good news message, that message of what Jesus means to you, of how he's not the greatest, you're not the greatest thing about yourself, but he is. Share that with one person and then pray for an opportunity. Who could I share that with this week who needs to desperately hear that? It's my challenge to you. What is one thing that's great about Jesus? And as a sign, you could point them to him. Now, for those of you who are not yet followers of Jesus, maybe you've kind of been like, you know what, I'm not really all that impressed with these Jesus folk. You know, I'm exploring the claims of Christianity, but I've found time and time again that I'm just kind of put off by Christians, whether it's those slick back TV evangelists or, or maybe someone who's offended me who claims to be a follower of Jesus. You know, we're capable of doing that, right? I just want to make an appeal to you. The greatest thing about us is not us. You're going to find that we as Christians are fallible people. We're people who make mistakes, and don't just make mistakes, but offend others. We sin just like anybody else. And if you don't want to buy us preachers, if you don't want to buy what we're selling, and if you don't want to listen to the TV evangelist, you don't want to even listen to your neighbor or coworker because they've done something that just offends you, would you just listen to the voice of a crazy-looking prophet covered in animal skin and may have locust legs still sticking in his teeth? And he would say this, the greatest thing about me is not me. And the greatest thing about us is not us. It's Jesus. You don't have to accept us. You don't even have to accept this church right now. All we're saying is, would you accept the greatest thing about us? And that's Jesus. I want to invite you to receive Jesus today. And I'm going to close our time in prayer right now. And Wherever you are right now, if you want to receive Jesus, if you see his beauty, his grace, his majesty right now, and you want to receive him, maybe you want to get down on your knees right now in your living room. That's the beauty of being behind a television screen. No one can see you right now. Call out to him and receive him today. For those of us that are followers of Jesus, let's be signs this week that point to the fact that the greatest thing about us is not us, It's our Savior and Messiah. Let's pray. Father in heaven, you've given us a wonderful Savior, a beautiful Messiah, one who is the king above all kings and the the greatest prophet and the greatest priest that we could ever hope for and one who is a great Savior and deliverer and hope for all the world. 
Father, you know that those of us who are followers of Jesus, we're really not all that great. We thank you for your love that reached way deep down for us. Father, I pray that you'd teach us the lesson that John the baptizer knew, that the greatest thing about him was not him. It was the one who followed him, Jesus the Messiah. Father, would you show us this week how we could be signs that would point others as well to the fact that the greatest thing about us is not us. Give us that one thing and that one opportunity this week that we could share with someone who needs to hear it so that they could see that we're not great, but Jesus is great. Open our mouths. Would you send us out like John the baptizer was sent to speak good news, to be a voice of one crying in the wilderness in our day and age that we know the one who is great and who could deliver you. And Father, for that one right now whom who may be saying, you know what, I've never been impressed with Christians, but there's something I find appealing about this Jesus. He's truly great. Oh, would you lead them right now? Maybe they're on their knees in front of a television screen or in front of a smartphone. Oh, I pray, Father, right now, do a work in their heart that they would say, I want to receive this Jesus. I receive him as my Messiah. I receive him as my Lord. I receive him as my, my Savior. I want the Jesus of John the baptizer. I want Jesus. Oh, would you do it in their hearts today? We thank you, Father, and we want to confess one more time that the greatest thing about us is not us, but it's the Savior that you gave. Thank you for sending him. Thank you for sending John the baptizer, and thank you for sending us too. We love you. We thank you for your word and for this time this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, friends, thanks so much for joining us this morning. We hope to see you again next week. And uh, hey, if you've got any questions or concerns or need prayer, please don't hesitate to reach out to us on our our website. Uh, You can reach out to us uh, by email. You can call us on the phone. We're here for you, and we would love to help you continue to know the one that we would say is the greatest thing about us. We'll see you next time. Thanks.